I opened up my fortune cookie and it said two words. It said, don't panic. And that is my biggest piece of advice. You are, you were just diagnosed with stage four kidney disease. You might feel like your life is coming to an end, but it's not. If like, if I can get through this, anybody can get through this. Welcome to the fourth episode of Vital Connections. I'm your host, Alan Vickers. As some of you may know, I work at the best television news station in Northeast and Central Pennsylvania. I'm talking about WNEP Newswatch 16 from about 2016 to 2019. Lots and lots of good memories up there with lots of great people. And I appreciate you guys always welcoming me into your homes. But when I was first diagnosed with kidney failure, uh, one of their reporters and former colleagues of mine, Nikki Cries, did a story about the diagnosis. And from there, a lot of viewers reached out to see how they could help. And once again, I appreciate that so much. Andrew Granick from Montrose was one of the people who reached out. I'm familiar with Montrose because I traveled there for the Blueberry Festival when I first started and I saw someone put blueberries on pizza. Uh, that was that was insane to me uh, back then. But back to the story, Andrew was first diagnosed with kidney failure in March of 2021, about the same time as when I was diagnosed. I followed his journey via Facebook and recently he was the recipient of a kidney transplant. As I prepared for my kidney transplant, I thought it would be great to talk to him about his journey from the initial diagnosis about his donor slash vital connection, Heather, and living after a kidney transplant. Now on to the conversation. Uh, the Blueberry Festival, or no, it was, yeah, the Blueberry Festival. We, so Montrose is known for three things. The Blueberry Festival, um, Christmas in Montrose, and the 4th of July. Those are like our big claim to fame. But if you if you Google search Blueberry Festival plus Montrose, there's actually a Montrose, Colorado, who does a Blueberry Festival. So oh. make sure that if you're going to Google it, you get the right Montrose. <laughs> little rivalry there's, there. There is, there is a little <laughs> rivalry. I think ours is better, but whatever <laughs> <laughs> so andrew um we're aligned on this because i saw you from afar go through your kidney mm -hmm. to transplant journey uh but there was a lot of stuff in between it so yeah. can you kind of start off telling our audience how you found out you were diagnosed so i actually found out that I had kidney disease when I went to see my endocrinologist. Um, mm -hmm. He had had me go for blood work the week before. Um, we were sitting in his office. He was going over my lab work and he said, have you ever had your kidneys looked at? And I was like, mm -hmm. uh, no, <laughs> that's not anything anybody has ever said to me. And sitting in his office, he filled out a referral and he said, I need you to drop this off at Renal Consultants in, in Wilkes-Barre on Highway 315 and schedule an appointment and immediately go to your doctor for blood work. So I no sooner dropped off the paperwork, got home, did my blood work, and my my endocrinologist was sending me text messages. He was calling on my calling me on my phone. He was calling my emergency contact, saying you need to get to the emergency room. Your kidneys are are failing, and I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be on call this weekend for work. So I had to call my boss. I went to the emergency room. I was there for a few days, and I at the time I was. 
if you know anything about kidney disease, there's five stages. So stage one is basically like normal kidney function. Um, then there's stage two, stage 3A, stage 3B, stage four, and stage five. Stage five is full renal failure. You need to start dialysis or you're not going to make it. So when I, when I went and found out about my kidney disease, I was like ranging between stage 3B and stage four. Mm-hmm. So I was set up with a nephrologist. I started going to appointments. I started increasing my fluid intake, watching what I was eating, but it wasn't enough. And my progression just continued to start to go downhill. That was March, 20, March, 2021. So from March, 2021 to September of 2023, when I got my transplant is really when, when things kidney wise started to, started to really come to fruition. Wow, that's that's so interesting because in March of 2021, that's when my kidney journey started. Originally, yeah. I went in because I thought I had COVID and I was just coughing and I just felt sick. Like it's just my yeah. chest was caving in. Uh, what type of symptoms did you feel anything or? I, so I did, but I think when it comes to symptomology, like if you're nauseous and throwing up, you can attribute that to like so many other things. Um, I was tired. I had like, chronic fatigue. I was just exhausted all the time, but I would be driving to work. I worked at a foster care agency at the time in Binghamton. So I was driving from Montrose to Binghamton. And there were days where I was like, I need to pull over because I'm going to, I'm going to puke. And I was like, Mm. I don't know. I don't know why I had terrible headaches. And it turned out that my headaches and nausea and vomiting were, were, were due to my increased blood pressure. So the, I, I didn't know the signs and symptoms of kidney disease at the time, but looking back, I'm like, I had all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, was, it was nausea, vomiting, um, chronically being tired. And mm-hmm. like, those were, those were the big ones. Those were the big ones. Now, when you're diagnosed, I'm sure that's like a lot going through your head. Did you have anyone like family, friend, neighbor <laughs> that had experienced kidney disease or? I, you know, I didn't my, so kidney disease really doesn't run in my family. We have like the heart disease, we have the cancers, but kidney disease, I was really the first one. And my kidney disease was a direct correlation um, between hypertension and diabetes. There was a while, there was quite a while where my diabetes wasn't under control. And I would go to the doctor, they would check my blood pressure and they're like, oh, it must just, must be just nerves today. You're nervous being at the doctor. So nobody really ever paid attention to why my blood pressure was so high. Um, I was put on um, a couple of blood pressure medications prior to knowing about my kidney disease and it kind of worked. But at that point, the damage was, was kind of already done. You were dealing with, you know, as I can imagine, doctor's appointments, blood work mm-hmm. weekly, um, watching what you eat, like you're trying to do, you're trying to save your kidneys essentially. And it's right. like, oh my gosh, like a race against time. Did you just go in for routine blood work and they're like, hey, you need to start dialysis? Or was there like a critical moment where you just felt awful? So I, I really was quite stubborn and didn't want to start dialysis. So I actually back in in February of 2022, I went, my nephrologist was like, your kidneys are getting worse. You should probably start making a plan for dialysis. So I went in, I had a fistula um, operation to put the, to have the port put in my wrist. Um, and I was just super stubborn. I didn't, I didn't want to start. And I've, I'm in several Facebook groups, kidney wise. And people say like my, my GFR is down to 10. They're telling me that I should start dialysis, but I feel okay. 
it doesn't really matter if you feel okay. The blood work is really the true indication that that you need to start. So when I started dialysis, um, my kidney function was down to about six percent. Wow. So in September wow. 2020, in September 2022, I was like, okay, it's it's time. I was looking sickly. I really I really started to not feel well, and I, there was there was a point where I was just where I kind of just accepted the fact that it was going to happen or like really at that point, what's the alternative? It's scary. How do you feel about needles? I hate needles. <sighs> so being diabetic, it was, it wasn't mm. so bad until I got to the dialysis center and they're like, they showed me the needle and it's like a 16 gauge. <laughs> and I was like, you may as well just like insert it like a chainsaw into my arm. Um, needles like even now like i've been through the dialysis thing i feel like if i can get through that i can do just about anything um so the needles didn't really bother me my first day of dialysis they inserted both needles and they infiltrated because my my fistula hadn't matured at that point so i went in and had a chest catheter put in that i used for a few months but yeah i wasn't i was not excited to start dialysis but there was a point where i I just said to myself, it's, it's time, it's time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you're on dialysis, it's not like you can take a vacation from it. Right. You're, you're just there. And my days are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. What were your days? I was Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and, and I was, I was the 720 shift and I would get there at like seven o'clock to make sure that I was hooked up and out of the building as soon as I could possibly get out of there. I completely understand that. And how did that affect your personal life? Um, fortunately, I have, I so I'm a social worker by trade and I work for a wonderful organization, um, the Women's Resource Center. And they really worked with me. They let me take the time off for doctor's appointments. They let me take the time off for dialysis. They said, we, we really need you and want you around and we will work with you. But I when you're on dialysis, you're limited to 32 ounces of, of fluid a day. And that includes ice cream, anything that can melt at room temperature, jello, soup. So the biggest adjustment was if I went out to dinner, if we went to friends' houses, I was like, well, I've, I've exceeded my fluid intake for the day. So I'm, I would love to have more water, but I can't. Um, so really that was the biggest adjustment was getting, was getting used to the fluid intake because you really can't have any. Um, yeah. But personally, I, I really didn't let it, I tried not to let it impact um, like me having fun, me going out. There were days where I was still working while I was on dialysis. So I would leave the dialysis center at like 11, 20, 11, 30. I'd get to work at one o'clock. And there were days where I was, I would get to work and my coworkers were like, just go home. You look exhausted. Mm. And but, like, I'm the type of person where like, I can push through. I probably, looking back, I don't know that I should have, but I mean, you have to do what you what you have to do to just make it through the day. Yeah, it's you don't want to let dialysis and kidney disease define you. No, not at all. Not at all. Can you tell our listeners your experience of going to a dialysis center? It's incredibly terrifying. <laughs> so my the the closest dialysis center to me that worked with my schedule was in Wilkes-Barre. Oh, so wow. I live in Montrose. I was driving to Wilkes-Barre. So from my house to the center was about an hour drive. Um, the first couple of times I had to go down there, I didn't drive myself. I had a ride. Um, but going to the center for the first time is, is incredibly overwhelming. 
you're walking into a sterile environment like there's like there's machines everywhere there's loud noises there's people walking around it's very 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 overwhelming so my suggestion is if you are starting dialysis work with your dialysis center to see if they will let you do a tour prior to your to your first visit um, I didn't do that. My first day of dialysis was the first time that I was at the center. So you walk into the dialysis clinic, you get on a scale, they measure your dry weight versus your wet weight. And if you gained like, I don't remember if they did kilos, I think they did kilos, but if you mm-hmm. like gained a certain amount of fluid, they have to take off the fluid. So they insert the needles. If you have a chest catheter, they're taking blood out, they're filtering it, and then they're pumping it back in. Um, four hours is the general length of dialysis time. So keep yourself occupied for four hours. Um, I chose an earlier center time so that I could sleep. Mm-hmm. I was waking up at like five o'clock in the morning. I was leaving my house by by six. I would get there, fall asleep for a little while, watch TV, play on my phone. But the first dialysis really, it, frankly, it just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it, yeah. frankly, not, not, if you told me tomorrow that I had to start dialysis again, that my kidney was rejection, there was, there was rejecting, there was nothing I could do, I would peace out. I'm that that's not something I, I want to do again. It's incredibly difficult. It's really hard. Um, I got to the point, though, where I was very strict with my fluid intake. Mm-hmm. The more fluid they have to take off during dialysis, the sicker you feel. So I got to the point where I was, I like, I would get to like 28 ounces during the day and I was done. I would stop my fluid intake for the day because I didn't, it, I didn't want to leave feeling like, like there were times where I left the dialysis center. I was getting a mile or two up the road and I was like throwing up all over myself, like Mm -hmm. as I was driving, um, on Ford, my neighbor, Patty, who took me to several appointments, I would be throwing up like in my hands as she's driving. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so serious. Sicker, the sicker you feel. Um, but yeah, dialysis is it, if you can dial like we call ourselves dialysis warriors because it's not an experience that everybody will have to go through, and it's really quite miserable. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's 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 not a pleasant experience. It's really not. No, not not at all. Um, just the needle aspect of it, sitting there. Um, I mean, I guess the only solace is is you can watch movies and they have tv there yeah yeah (laughs) there were were a couple things that i saw at the center that like got me questioning like is this my is this my future Mm -hmm. so i remember there was a gentleman who sat behind me who i couldn't see who had a seizure and they had to they had to pull out the aed on him and i there were several times there were at least two or three times that i could remember that they had to perform life-saving measures on somebody the woman who sat across from me, um, who I would, so my center time was 7.20 to 11.20. She was coming in at like 11.15. So like we we shared just like highs and buys, but she ended up passing away. Oh, wow. And it's like, people don't understand that. Like when you see things like that, it's like, this is, this is my future. Um, there were, it's just, yeah, dialysis is not fun, but kind of like the the vicarious trauma that we see around us is off, is can be kind of worse to see other people struggle and know that there's not anything that you can do to help them. I think so. that's 
Yeah, that's the worst part because, I mean, at least you were still able to work, you know, you're still able mm-hmm. to drive down there, but there's certain people that they can't drive, they yeah. they can't work, and it's it's tough to see. But was there, a, like, a survivor's guilt when you got the transplant and then you knew you were leaving? Yes. So I, the my last dialysis session was the day before my surgery, and I mm. left the center just bawling my eyes out. Mm. And that's one of the thoughts that I had. And I, I shared this with my, with my coworker, Sarah, um, who I'm hoping is going to watch this when it's, when it's recorded, but there were like, I, I definitely experienced, like, I, I often think about like the, there are people that I, that I formed relationships with who would sit next to me, who are probably still there, who are probably still sitting in the chair. And I really, I did feel guilty. I felt incredibly guilty, especially there was a, there was a, guy who came in right after me and there was several times where I saw him but he was only like 21 22 mm. and I'm like I'm f- like in my late 30s approaching 40 like if give this guy my kidney <laughs> like yeah. I don't want to see him having have to go through this but I f- I felt incredibly guilty getting a mm. kidney but there are so many there are a hundred thousand other people out there waiting for a kidney and I'm one of the lucky ones who who got one and gets to sit here and have this conversation with you it's just it's been it was a hard journey it's not anything i want to do again but my like my piece of advice is just just keep going don't panic and if anybody needs anything if anybody needs to talk like i'm here (laughs) i've been through it i know what you're going through we're going to switch gears and talk about transplant now you know that is an exciting time for like your friends and family are like oh my gosh there's a trans there's a possible transplant this is so exciting talk to me about how stressful that was for you <laughs> uh to say that it was stressful alan would be a, a gross understatement <laughs> um so i I was listed through two centers. I was listed mm. through Geisinger and Lehigh Valley. Lehigh Valley does kidney and pancreas transplants. Mm. And I had made the decision a long time ago that if I knew of a donor, if I knew I had a match, if I knew I had a surgery date, nobody was going to know. Mm. Because in August of of 22, I had a I had a, a very close a very close match. Um, there was a deceased donor through Lehigh Valley who was going to donate a kidney and a pancreas. We, it was like the worst day of my life, but we get to the, we get to the, to Lehigh Valley. They prepped me for surgery. Um, I was wheeled to pre-op and the doctor came in and said the the organs aren't viable. Uh-huh. And it was devastating. I like, I still try not to think about it, but I had after that, I had made the decision that if I knew there was a surgery coming, like my inner circle were the were the only people that were going to know because I a didn't want a pity party, I didn't mm. want people to feel sorry for me, I didn't want to have to walk back and have people disappointed, so I had made the decision that if that, like I only wanted like five people on the planet to actually know that it was happening, um, just because it, it is really stressful. The wait is terrible. Centers transplant centers can't tell the individual anything. They're bound by HIPAA. If it weren't for my donor Heather updating me on like a weekly basis, I would have had no idea that that anything was even happening. And just introduce our audience to Heather, your donor. So 
Oh, Heather is, uh, I've grown to love and adore her. Um, she and I actually went to high school together. She was a year younger than I am. Um, so we've kind of been connected. Our, our schools merged when I was in second grade. She would have been in first grade. So in theory, like we had a connection since elementary school. We had um, one or two mutual friends in high school. We would go to like Halloween parties together, but our, our actual interaction was, was pretty minimal. Um, in March 2023, she messaged me through Facebook and said, hey, I'm, I wanted to let you know that I filled out the paperwork. They're sending me for blood work. And she's just, she's an incredible person. She literally, I, I don't use this term lightly, but she's a lifesaver. Yes. Yes. And so that when she first told you she signed up and to the point where you ended up with a transplant, that that waiting because she has so many tests she has to go through and you yeah. have so many tests yeah yeah there were between her and i there were so many there were so many hurdles um mm. she was scheduled for her her full workup at the beginning of may so that's when she did her ekg she had more blood work chest x-ray like all of the all of the heart healthy stuff and she got her test results from her ekg and she immediately messaged me and said, my, my results are coming back as abnormal. And I was like, well, son of a gun, like this is the closest I've gotten. And it's like, it's like gonna completely derail um, my hope. So she had to go through extra testing. She had to wear a 14 day heart monitor. They had to have her repeat her EKG. And this is like all information that like I haven't really shared. And I'm like, I hope she's okay with me sharing it cause I'm going to, sorry, other. Um, <laughs> But like we had so many extra tests, like females have to, when they reach a certain age, they have to have a pap smear as part of their, their testing. So we knew that this was coming in like July and the earliest that the center, the earliest pap smear that the center had was January. Like, oh, wow. So fortunately, I, I know some nurses through Geisinger who pulled some strings and she was immediately scheduled, but oh my it, God. it was like just the the waiting and the up and down the roller coaster there were days where i felt hopeful there were days where i felt hopeless and it was if it weren't for her updating me i i would not have had any idea and i go back and forth where like there were times where i wanted to be wanted to be blissfully unaware i didn't want mm. people to tell me that they were testing i didn't want to get my hopes up but i'm so glad that she and i had open communication and if there were a point where i wanted to, her, her to like back off and not tell me anything she was receptive to that ah. um so she and i have become like we don't talk every week um but we check in we make sure that we're that we're both doing okay and it's been it's i mean we're bonded for life i have her kidney <laughs> For, for she's, sure. She's stuck with me or I'm stuck with her. <laughs> I definitely, you're stuck with her. Um, yeah. So post-transplant, um, mm -hmm. by the time this is um, released, this episode is released, I will hopefully have my transplant. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But can you take me through how you felt when you woke up? Like, how long was your procedure? So the center that I went through only does kidney donation surgeries on Thursday mornings. So we had to be at Geisinger at 545. They paid for us to stay at a hotel the night before. They paid for Heather to stay at a hotel the night before to make sure that we were all there and that we were all actually going to be at the at the hospital on time. Um, I remember my, my kidney champion, Kat, I worked with an organization called Off the List, who's based out in Ohio, and they kind of they kind of give you skills and tools to market your to market your your journey. Um, 
They helped me create a Facebook page. Um, Kat became my, my kidney champion. She was able to drive down um, and be there the morning of. So we danced into the hospital. Um, Heather was called back first so that she could start her part of like, there's more blood work that you have to do in the morning. Um, so when I got called up, I was actually, Heather and I were right next to one another. And it was, it was just a complete whirlwind. Like I remember it, but I'm like, what, what, what actually happened? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the first thing I remember post-transplant, you have to have a, an ultrasound as soon as you are out of surgery. My procedure lasted about six and a half, seven hours. So the, my first real memory is, is somebody doing an ultrasound. And I remember it being incredibly painful. It was terrible because I mean, you have like an eight inch incision on your abdomen and they are now coming in with a, with an ultrasound machine, trying to just make sure that, that it's hooked up. Okay. And that it's working, that it's doing its thing. I vaguely remember family and friends coming in saying, hi, I don't remember getting wheeled to my room. I don't remember exactly what time I woke up. Um, like it's all, it's all kind of a blur. I do remember being in pain from the ultrasound, but after that, things are just really, really, really foggy. Wow. Really foggy. Did you start to feel better um, sooner, like day of, day after, a couple of days? So I was, surgery was on Thursday. I was discharged on Monday, readmitted on Tuesday. Mm. Um, I woke up. Tuesday in, in excruciating pain. I was throwing up. I had a fever and I was like, something's wrong. So called mm. Guy Singer and said, come back to the ER. Um, I probably once, once the, once the incision pain started to wear off and it was, I, I really felt better once the, once the pain in the incision was gone, which lasted probably like a week, like seven, like seven, once the, once Make sure you're taking your pain medication, though. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I, was home, I was sent home with pain medication. I must have forgot that I had it. So I did take, oh, wow. um, they prescribed me with Oxycontin, but then like that was making me sick. So I wasn't taking mm -hmm. anything. So the pain was terrible. It was just, it was not fun, but I have zero regrets. I would go mm -hmm. through the pain again. I would go through the drive again. I would go through it all again if I could if I could, well, I don't want to, but yeah, <laughs> if I had to, I would, I would do it all over again. Definitely not. And how has your support system evolved uh, since your transplant, your initial diagnosis and transplant? I am so lucky that I have a lot of friends and family who will basically do anything for me. Um, I, throughout the course of the journey, I, you know, I, I lost my mom in May, mm. 2023, right before, uh, just a few months before my surgery, I gained friends, I lost touch with people, but my, my core support system really was, was stellar. They were just absolutely incredible people messaging me every day, people calling like on a, on a daily basis. And I sitting in the hospital bed, I was still posting on Facebook, letting people know that I was out of surgery and that things were going okay. But really going through this journey, you have to have a strong support system. If you don't, you're not going to, you're not going to succeed. Now, um, where some time has passed since your transplant, mm -hmm. um, how are you feeling now? So I, I feel great. I mm -hmm. really do. I'm not ready to run any marathons. Not that i was going to run a marathon anyway, prior to having the transplant, but I, I really do feel great. I have no symptoms. Um, right. My, 
one of the things that I think one of the misconceptions about kidney transplants is it's not a it's not a it's not a cure it's a treatment. So mm. people going into a kidney transplant, if you are expecting perfection, it's not going to happen. Um, and that's that's one of the things I guess I didn't realize. So I thought that once I got the kidney transplant, like my filtration rate would go up to a hundred percent, my creatinine would be like within normal range, and it's not. My mm. kidneys even post transplant, my kidneys are only functioning between 50 and 50, uh, between 50 and 60%. My creatinine is still slightly elevated, but that could be my baseline. That could just be where I'm at. They're not concerned about any rejection. Um, I've had probably eight ultrasounds mm. post transplant. I had to have a kidney biopsy. They are now concerned. Mm. And this isn't like what I'm going to tell you, I'm fine sharing. Mm. Um, they're concerned that the artery pumping blood from my body into my kidney is narrowing. Um, I had to have another ultrasound this past week. I went in for an MRA, which is a, it's a fancy MRI procedure where they inject a, a dye through your IV just because they want to make sure that, that nothing like terrible is going to happen. And the only treatment for a narrow artery into your kidney is, is to have a stent put in. So I don't know, I haven't heard the results of my of my procedure yet, but I'm thinking I'm gonna have to go have a stent put in. So it's like, I think very rarely do people have a kidney transplant and there's no issues. Mm. I have a friend of mine who I met in a Facebook group who lives out in Pittsburgh and she's going through some things right now too. Um, and it's like, it's if people are expecting things to be like completely stellar and my and things are going to be great, like I'm almost five months post-surgery and I'm still dealing with, with like nonsense things. Like there's always, yeah. it's, it's like there's always a bump and it's not, it's not anything that I'm doing. It's not anything that my transplant center is doing. It's just, that's the nature of the beast. It's just how things go. That's yeah, no, that's, it's good to know because you know, sometimes it's presented as, you know, you get a transplant and then, you know, close the chapter. But I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, there's time that, you know, you definitely need to go to the doctors, definitely need to take your medicine. If someone, you know, just got diagnosed, they thought it was something and it ends up being kidney disease. What advice would you give them? Because in a way, I mean, your your journey, it's still going, but you've you've accomplished a lot, you know? Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's just been diagnosed and they just, they're at a loss for words at this point? I ate at a Chinese restaurant a couple of years ago and I, I got a fortune cookie, obviously, and I opened up my fortune cookie and it said two words. It said, don't panic. And that is my biggest piece of advice. You are, you were just diagnosed with stage four kidney disease. You might feel like your life is coming to an end but it's not if like if i can get through this anybody can get through this but my biggest piece of advice is don't panic ask questions listen to what your doctors are telling you increase your fluid intake watch what you're eating somebody who's at a stage 3a stage 3b or stage 4 kidney failure can live an entire life at at that stage but it takes work it takes dedication it takes compliance with with what the doctors are are telling you to do um, so my biggest piece of advice is don't panic. There are options. It's not, it's not a death sentence. Um, and just, just listen to the doctors Okay. and start okay. and really start researching my, if you're looking at a transplant, start researching transplant centers as soon as you possibly can. 
a nephrologist's office won't refer somebody for a transplant until their GFR hits 20%. So if you're at 22%, if you're at 25%, start looking at transplant centers locally. If you're diabetic, um, you can get a pancreas and a kidney at the same time. If you need a liver, you can get a liver. I mean, like there's there's always things that you can do, but but do your homework, do your research and don't panic. Don't panic. It's it it will it will be okay. Now Along with that, and final question here, um, you mentioned that you were listed at two different yes. centers. Yes. Why Why was that so important? important? Would you recommend it? Back in the day, like regionally, like if you looked at like, if you looked at Northeast PA and, and like Southeast PA, if there were two transplant centers that would give a kidney, you could only list at one of them. And it wasn't until like the last year and a half, the last two years where they said, we're not doing that. List at multiple centers and try to get a kidney as soon as possible. Because when I, I only listed with Lehigh Valley in May of 2023, and I was called August, 2023. People wait for, people wait for, for organs for years. So the more centers you can list at, the increase that you will get called sooner. Um, I'm glad that my, that my procedure was done through Danville because I had to drive to Danville multiple times. If I was listed through Lehigh Valley, I would have to drive from Montrose to Allentown, which is a much significant drive. But if you can list at multiple centers and people can now list at multiple centers. At one point I was going to list at Syracuse and I was going to list at a hospital in Cincinnati out in Ohio. You can list wherever you want to, but the more centers you're listed at, the, the like the increase that you will get called and you will you will get an organ sooner. And really, it just comes down to who the perfect match is. If you are only listed for a deceased donor, your perfect match could be out in California. They could be flying that match in. You just you really just never know. You never know when you're going to get the call. Fortunately, back in August, I had my phone turned on <laughs> and the volume up because I would not have known. I would not have known because for so long, people were like, you're going to wait seven to 10 years for a kidney. And I was called within just a few months for a kidney and a pancreas. So it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. it's it's I don't envy the person who has to be in charge of tracking all of that because it's like it's would blow my mind. Um but yeah, if you can list it multiple centers, go for it. If you can feasibly get to a center within three or four hours, do it. Do it. Andrew, I want to thank you for your time yeah. and joining yeah. this. This has been educational for me, and I'm sure our listeners, um, just seeing someone who's gone through this process, being diagnosed, going through dialysis, getting a transplant on the recovery track, I mean, it's just inspirational for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm proud of you and I hope you continue to keep going. I, that's the only option I have. <laughs> I, one of the things that I, my, my last final thought was I had asked my, my nurse, my pre-transplant nurse coordinator, um, what I could get my donor, like mm. what kind of gift should I, should I buy them? And her answer was the only, like, you can buy your donor, whatever you want to, you can give them cash, you can give them gift cards, like do what you have to do. But the only like true gift that you can give your kidney donor is to maintain the function of your kidney. Like stay wow. compliant. The biggest gift that you can give a donor is just making sure you're you're keeping it healthy. And I was like, 
well, holy crap, that I never would have thought of that. Like that thought had never really crossed my mind. But yeah, it's just, it's a hard, hard process. The waiting is not something I care to do again. Um, but really it's don't give, don't, don't give up. If, I mean, it happened for me relatively quickly. So I'm glad to be on this side of the journey than the, than the previous. Yeah.